stories from the perfect brainstorm where creative challenges are made for the creatively <laughs> challenged i am your tavern master houston bodily and i'm the tavern person next to the tavern brian perry you, you need your fantasy voice my brian. fantasy voice there you go i'm the tavern neighbor yes Not brian perry the tavern neighbor um <laughs> I've seen quite a few fantasy movies and uh, such in my day, and I don't think everyone talks like that, so this is going to be my What is your name, voice. Traveler? And what is your uh, fantasy voice? Look, my name's Jake, <laughs> and I'm, I'm just the guy sitting in the corner smoking a pipe, uh, watching everybody in the tavern to gather information. This, this is my fantasy voice. <laughs> That's like your real-life character. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Jake famously <laughs> smokes pipes in the corners of taverns, yeah, watching people for information. Weekends. That was basically your role at our murder mystery party we did this year. Oh, that's true. That's That's why I thought of it. Anyways, welcome everybody. This is our Pitch a Fantasy Novel episode. It it may be like medieval high fantasy with weird character voices and mysticism, but it might also be in the future. It might also be in some other time. There are so many fantasy subgenres, and one of them is called Grimdark, which is wild. Yeah. Um, is that relevant to what your pitch is? Probably not. Grimdark, I think, is like people trying to be edgy with fantasy. Yeah, that sounds about right. While we're on the subject of uh, bizarre subgenres, uh, have you guys heard about bear shifting novels? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> so. I feel like this might be a furry community related thing. Uh, I would maybe I'm I assuming would not rule that out, but not necessarily. So, um, my wife and I fell down this rabbit hole one day because we saw like something on. I don't remember, on Reddit or something. Um, and apparently, it kind of started with the whole Twilight thing of women who are attracted to vampires and or werewolves. And there is like an entire subgenre of uh, like fantasy romance novels about men oh who can transform into bears. And so they're called bear shifters. And these women are romantically involved with bear shifters. And it's like an entire subgenre called bear shifting. And it's, uh, you know, I kind of regret even telling you guys this because yeah. now you can never go back to not knowing that information. I uh, I did Google it, <laughs> and uh, one of the top results was, does a bear shift in the woods? So that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I was just confirming that, yes, there are many subgenres to many things. Yes. Um, well, maybe to start off, let's go through some of our favorite fantasy novelizations. Uh, help us get in the right mood maybe not even novelizations just like pieces of fantasy yeah. whether it's a tv show movie um i will start my classic which everything revolves around is the lord of the rings trilogy classic which ironically enough i like the movies more than the books the books get a little tedious for me this is this is a very contrarian opinion is it but I don't know. I, I agree. I mean, I don't absolutely love the books, but I love the world and I'm willing to read the books because they're still really good. Not denying that, but they're not like my favorite, but it's the world that I love. And it's the fact that it got brought together in the movies that makes me really yeah. like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, along those lines, I love the Hobbit book. Um, do not like the Lord of the Rings books. I 
I actually dislike them um, and will never finish them. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with the movies. Uh, that's where I stand there. But uh, I love The Hobbit book. Um, yeah. I love Star Wars, which is space fantasy. I was actually going to ask, are we allowed to get into the realm of sci-fi or is oh yeah absolutely i well i almost feel like we don't even need to what what of mine is gonna feel sci-fi but like fantasy is basically what distinguishes fantasy from sci-fi as far as i can tell is technology both of them are you're changing the rules and you're setting things in a different world than our current world right sci-fi just means that you got you the thing you're changing is some technology or some kind of scientific development here's i guess more the distinction this is drawing a line in the sand um I consider Star Wars more of a fantasy and Star Trek more of a sci-fi. Totally fair. In my mind, sci-fi is like pretty realistic, but obviously some liberties are taken about what is happening in the future. Um, But within those rules, keeping it pretty realistic as if we could get to that stage. Whereas Star Wars is like, yeah, this is just exploratory, like different. I mean, the force whole... is just a magic system. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I think the line is blurry enough that we can kind of go wherever we want. I think if we're getting into like, oh, this is Ender's Game, that's not a fantasy, but uh, yeah. But I think we can. Jake, what's one of I would. What's one of your favorite fantasies? That's not like one of the mainstreams. I guess I started. Tell us your fantasies. Too broad. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this is like. I mean, it's. I would I would say it's not mainstream, but it's it's definitely highly popular. Um, I'm a big fan of the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. Ooh, good um, choice. And full disclosure, I haven't read all of it. I'm only about I think I'm four books in. But this is my thing. I have learned over the years that I really really like historical fiction and realistic fiction and like classics. And so okay. I like stephen king's take on fantasy because it's it is very fantasy and it's like very strange and very interesting but he very much grounds his characters in like the the same reality that we live in you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and i like that because i feel like his characters in that book are like super super relatable like i have a hard time relating to a, a wizard in like middle earth or relating to a hobbit and kind of knowing what that might be like but um yeah like his characters are like uh a guy from new york who is like on the you know bad side of the law and this woman that has schizophrenia and this kid who has a lot of pressure from his parents to be good at school and they like kind of end up this band of misfits that get sucked into this like crazy fantasy world and uh anyway i really like it well something we were talking about before we started recording was red dead redemption 2 and how it's a great game because of the western vibe Mm -hmm. to it and I feel like you get a little bit of that, particularly in the first book oh, yeah. of Dark Tower. I feel like there's not a ton of Western fantasies, which is something I might touch on later. Oh. But that is an idea that I feel like there is a big gold mine ready to be wow. 49ered out. You're so of. right. I never thought about that. But yeah. why am I not a fantasy Western writer? <laughs> well, thanks for deciding what the rest of my life is going to be. Cause I'm gonna I can't get... believe you've never thought that before. <laughs> I'm going to get going on that become fa- fantasy western writer this okay, is on my this is list. really the starting point yeah when you're a famous author this episode is going to be the one everyone looks back to and be like oh yeah that's yep. when it all that's when it all happened that's when jake bush yep. created an idea and then houston bodley stole it i just wrote down <laughs> in my go- in my google keep life goal colon become fantasy western novelist nice okay I thought you were going to just stop what at we... become fantasy Western. <laughs> just like that's going to be your vibe from now on. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm like fantasy Western. That's my style. Yeah. I, I found a solution where we can both be fantasy Western writers without it feeling too cliched. Okay. Um, 
you write your story from one per- character's perspective about this huge event, and then I write it from a different character's perspective, and the readers don't know until like book four in each of our series that they're in the same universe. Oh, but then in book four, like my character meets up with your character, and they have a uh, uh, Mexican standoff, or I don't know what the correct term is. That's the only one I know. But then maybe they become partners, or maybe they kill each other. And depending on which is more popular, that's the one that wins. Since it'll be fantasy, we'll just call it like a Kevlorkian standoff, and that'll make sense in the world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes. I like it. Um, yeah, I guess we can start pitching our ideas for a new fantasy novel. Well, Jake, you're going to be the uh, the first uh, Western fantasy novelist. Do you want to start with your, uh, your idea? Yes. And I was even a little bit hesitant to bring this up because I've had this idea brewing in my head for a while. Um, for an actual like book series that I might write and so uh, just listeners be aware if you steal my ID my idea uh, or my ID I will come (laughs) at you Uh, so don't do that this idea was born when I went and watched uh, the live recording of Sawbones in Salt Lake City where um, they talked about Utah and some of the quirky medicinal practices that happen here in Utah and I have this idea for like See, this is why I already know that this isn't going to be the idea we actually use because I don't even know if it fits the criteria for what we're doing in this episode all that well because it would almost be like a parody, like fantasy, but like also historical fiction type thing, almost like, I don't know, expanding upon real events, but turning it all into something ridiculous. And the name of this series would be Essential Empires. Oh no! I, I think at this point our Pokemon uh, setup episode is already out, so I, I think uh, people know our stance on on essential oils and MLMs and all that. So, so like if you read the history of uh, the two warring factions in the essential oils battle here in Utah, they're very much intertwined, and I'm pretty sure they came from the same original family, and then they like split off into two like yeah. groups. Oh, they sure did. And they like I've heard rumors like that they still to this day will like send each other like passive aggressive like letters and like basically they're still in this war to become like the king of essential oils and i think that is like the perfect premise for this like warring dynasties series or like like warring families that like started from the same place and then they split off and it's this huge like vendetta against each other and they use all kinds of dirty tactics but we could introduce like the fantasy element of like okay the the original family like discovered these substances that are like essential for survival and they give you special powers and they like make you uh more charismatic and they make you more healthy and they like save you from cancer and all kinds of stuff and so now they're both like fighting and trying to take the other out to like so you're saying empire if, if and- essential oils were real <laughs> like that that's the fantasy the you're talking oils. about that's the fantasy that's the it actually fantasy. did something yeah that's the, this is what it would be the like. fantasy is a world where essential oils do every single thing that they claim to do yeah Highly that is quite the fantasy <laughs> and uh i just i don't know i like the idea of this like warring dynasties type vibe uh where it would be very much like a political like like uh, the reason i like game of thrones so much is because it's not just like oh we have to go slay a dragon it's very much interpersonal yeah. drama. It's like we you have to I mean? slay a dragon because then that secures the medieval equivalent of my position as a vice president exactly. over this country. Exactly. And so that's what it would be. Like yeah. whoever controls the oil controls the world. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a Game of Thrones almost, right? Yeah. Like, the, like kind of it's it's not just one protagonist. It's all about just this world and these people this interacting. Whole, yeah. 
Lots of a different game characters. Of game of oils. Game of oils. An essential game of oils. Royal oil. And that is our running title. Ooh, Royal Oils. That's a good name. <laughs> it's it's made slightly less good by the fact that it's a Mighty Mighty Boss Tones song title. But uh, <laughs> but it's, it's cool that Royal and Oil rhyme and that it kind of fits in this context. It's yeah. a great song, though. It's, it's really so, good. So, uh, anyway... I, that's my idea. I have two thoughts of how of like the setting that can help with the story. Okay. One is we go the typical YA novel post-apocalyptic world where resources are sparse, there's a lot of poverty, but this is just one area of this post-apocalyptic world that is succeeding. And so that's why they're able to have the power because they were in the demise of society able to refine these oils and make them powerful. The other one is you could just leave it in modern world. And besides those who are directly influenced by MLMs, no one cares about them. And so I like this commentary of like there's this big war between these two oil empires and no one except for like a few people actually care what's going on. Yeah. Well, here's here's the thing though. Um, if if these essential oils really did everything that they claimed, and they were like these amazing things, people would care, and it would be like a bigger thing. And like, I think it would take place in a parallel. Well, that sounded weird. Parallel parallelogram. Um, in a parallel timeline, branching off from the point where essential oils were discovered. And it's like, oh, they've got these these like magical abilities, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they would sort of be the leaders, and they would be like these these huge actual factions that everyone was kind of on one side or the other. Yeah, I think that would be yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, so otherwise, it's I would set it in modern day, but as if these these companies were were governments rather than just companies because they're so powerful. Right. right exactly. That could be interesting. They like c- control so much of like the the valuable resources in the region that they just have all the power, and like they've got the law in their pocket. And they've got political leaders in their pockets. And, oh, man, it would be so good. It would be so good. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a good idea for a novel. I don't think this is what our novel for the podcast is going to be. I nope. actually, like, I wouldn't be opposed to, uh, like, I don't, even if we don't use this idea of, like, the essential oils, I think we should have uh, warring factions can be something that can be integrated yeah. to anything. Oh, absolutely. So I say whatever we go with on this episode, we include some kind of warring, you know, family, rival families or something like that. It could be interesting. Yeah, and I'm actually... I feel like that's a pretty good staple yeah. of a fantasy novel. Like, that usually takes place of, like, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, even if it's not the main uh, center of it, I think it's interesting to, to include. It fleshes yeah. out the world a little bit more. And I would also actually prefer that we don't explore this idea any further because I don't want to end up having to pay you guys royalties when I make (laughs) uh, a million dollars off this book. When you publish this book, I'm just going to go through with a Sharpie and write my initials on the cover. (laughs) Every single one of them. At Barnes & Noble? At Barnes & Noble. Yelling at you? Until they catch on. Get out of here. I helped with this book. (laughs) So I'm probably going to jump in real quick just to a few concepts that I'm interested in. It sounds in the pre-discussion of this episode that, Brian, you have a lot of ideas, and I would rather just kind of focus on all the hard work you put into. Okay. I have more, like, editor's notes that I would like to have go into this, okay. but I'm fine with... And it, So, yeah, so just so as, as people are listening to, to the things you're introducing, I have three sort of worlds that I can I can work with. So, so yeah. everything you guys uh, have introduced and are going to introduce, we can work into one of these three or any combination, so... So yeah, let's hear it. Cool. So basically, mine was built off of one big story. I kind of the premise for this. So it starts off with this. I'm going to say for the sake of things, he is human. Um, But I'm more 
interested in exploring uh, the various races and how they develop over time. So basically, like, this is my story of what I want to do. He is studying geography. Who? Because I'm always fast, uh, my main character. Oh, okay. Uh, he's studying geography because I think map making is a really fun aspect of medieval fantasy. I always like to know where the characters are in relation to the world and what they're doing. Totally. And I think it would be a fun aspect to have someone who's studying geography or cartography, I guess, more specifically. Yeah. And he has to go to a new region. And so throughout the story, he's drawing the map of where he's at in this new world. And so you get all these elements of like, okay, in book three, we have like, if it's a seven book series, it's probably like three sevenths of the world has been discovered. And so that's all that's shown on the map. But included with that, I do want to get more of the Avatar Last Airbender vibe where there's like all these tribes that are trying to figure things out in this warring world. And we're also following the storyline of a Prince Zuko character who is a bad person at first and then eventually becomes good or makes a few bad decisions that are problematic for the protagonist. Um, but I kind of want to watch the two just slowly like fall in love. <laughs> fall in love. <laughs> just like an avatar. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm really fascinated with the idea of, like, in Game of Thrones, like, you see both what the bad guys are doing and what the good guys are doing. I always love that concept. I hate being... Well, I don't hate it. It's fine. But I'm always more interested in seeing both sides of the spectrum. Um, And so this new guy, he's on a ship... Or going back to the protagonist, he's a new guy on a ship. He comes, there's some sort of boat crash, and he lands in, like, this poor port town of this island where they're under... uh, a dictatorship rule right now. Um, And he has to help these people kind of navigate towards maybe a more safer location because we find out there's an outside force that is coming in. Um, But as they go through the world, it gives an excuse for the character to write the maps. I want this to not just be like typical medieval fantasy, uh, but what happens to the different races as they progress over a few hundred years. So, for example, dwarves are traditionally known to be miners. So they until they grow up into a lot of (laughs) (laughs) fair enough. Um, Good one. (laughs) So they probably deal a lot with like mining coal and whatnot. Um, So I think dwarves will have created this giant railroad empire, and so you get a little bit of 1800s America or industrial revolution. Uh, Europe with the with the dwarves uh, elves in my mind are usually more in touch with magic and so I want to see like how do they integrate magic to make technological developments so it's not necessarily like oh we use gasoline and electricity for all our magic um, but they use like or for all our uh, technology but they use magic and finding weird and interesting ways to integrate that uh, centaurs with the deforestation of uh, this land, they have to find new areas. So maybe they adapt to uh, dry areas and they become like the cowboys. They already have their horses Ooh. as part of their body. You, you know I, I love a centaur you. cowboy. You, you, <laughs> yes. know, you know that's one of my favorite West. things. I just think it's so about, funny. 
Have we ever talked about Old Weston? Like, I don't think we have talked about Old Weston. I love Old Weston. He's a D&D character that uh, I've used multiple times now. I think I created yeah. him with you guys, and then I've, I've branched him out I, to multiple places. I think you, like, created him by accident, too. It was just like I think we, so. we went into Fandolin, and I, I remember the moment that Old Weston was born. You were just like, uh, and he is a centaur, and he's also kind of he's a the, cowboy. The and then you went, yeah. oh my yeah. gosh, a centaur cowboy, that's amazing. <laughs> I think I laughed straight for like 15 minutes. What? Partially because I was stalling because I didn't have that much story prepared for that session. But uh, I really like, that just that struck my funny bone. Yeah, love it. Um, but I want to get like immersed in these different cultures because... I think it works to have stereotypes of cultures, but I also want to break that tradition of like all orcs are bad. Right, yeah. All dwarves are stubborn. Like I think you get a different character and maybe they start with those stereotypes just to like draw attention to them yeah. and how like there needs to be progress now. Like we've met, written so many medieval fantasies, like let's change it up a bit. And then they break those stereotypes or they defy them right from the beginning just to, underestimate your expectations yeah i think it'd be interesting i think it'd be interesting to see like a subgroup of each of the races that are specifically against stereotype and seeing how they deal with it and like some some will leave some will change their cultures some will i think it's really interesting and i think it'd be fun to introduce new races like i kind of like a medieval fantasy vibe of um coming from this idea of what if other animals evolved to be more humanoid so i want like bear people they're essentially bears there's a genre for that actually (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like what if evolution smiled fondly on gorillas well i guess that's a little closer to humans but like what if like they smiled fondly on sharks and sharks like somehow figured out a way to grow and develop so they can come temporarily on land makes it a lot more scary yeah just kind of messy like i'm stealing that a little bit from avatar just because they have all the oh the hybrids yeah hybrids um i was trying to take that to the they're essentially making them humanoids yeah yeah Yeah, interesting those are just some ideas i had we can play with them a little bit let's go into brian okay cool um when you started talking about this this map maker and and centering a story around a map maker um that was very interesting to me because i uh my first setting is uh, basically a magic system where no one no one is a magic user yet, right? Like the magic in this world just are the, the laws that govern how the world works, right? Gravity or things like that. But then extending that to bigger effects, you know, teleportation wait, wait, wait. or invisibility. I, I actually really like the idea of a book where the magic system is just gravity. And <laughs> they're, they're always like... I'm going to push that man off a cliff <laughs> with the power of gravity. There are four spells. Gravity, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force. <laughs> and a fourth one we haven't discovered yet. That's um, actually a really good idea for like, yeah. a fantasy book that you could teach physics to kids. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. Um, so what I kind of had in mind is like, what if wizards are just scientists, right? And so like... Yeah. Everyone's discovered gravity, right? And we, and we would build into this the, this like cosmology of this world that gravity is a very basic magical effect, okay? That it, it draws two things together, right? That kind of thing, um, based on their mass. But then as they learn more and more complex effects, they're able to sort of discover magic. Basically, it's the concept of, I want to see what it's like to, when magic is discovered, 
right? You don't just wake up and it's like, oh, I have these powers. I want it to be a little harder and the characters have to work for it. Uh, and so I was imagining, I, I sort of attached a mini plot to this to sort of illustrate it. Um, I thought about just a team of scientists slash wizards um, going out and and noticing that sometimes there are geographical triggers for for certain magical effects. So they're going out and finding, oh, but are there different hotspots for this? Uh, are like there different cliffs. places like yeah cliffs are a great hot spot for uh, for trees. the gravity magic yeah <laughs> tall very tall trees and then say something happens to one of them and they need to more quickly sort of scramble and and figure out a way to cure them because they got some curse or something okay so that's sort of my my very vague concept that's just really just a magic system like like think about in the Harry Potter universe universe of like how did they discover magic and it's like what what are the things that would have gone into yes. that except I want mm -hmm. I want this to be like a little bit they have to work for it it's a little more uh, grounded in science it's kind of the the concept I had there so you might say they're like physics yeah characters. basically and I I don't I don't I think like it's always physics right and like and the other elements. well and you take a concept like like now we're a, a wrinkle physics. in time like they figure out teleportation by this general concept of folding the universe in on itself and that kind of thing and i think that's yeah. the kind of thing they can do too and uh yeah and I, I like the concept of no one is an inherent magic user it's it's just a studied thing and you just learn it. and no one studied it yet no one has done it yet so you don't go to magic school you there's this group of scientists that are like figuring it out. And I think that's interesting. It'll be the discovery of how did they learn to science Yeah, exactly. Bend. Science bend. I like that. Yeah. Can there be pirates? There always can be pirates. Um, <laughs> yeah, I actually thought it would be... <laughs> what was that? <laughs> like, that felt like apropos of nothing, but I'm sure uh, you had some well, reason, the reason for that. The reason is just this entire time I've been wanting pirates to be in this, so <laughs> I'm a um, big fan of pirates. So one thing I was thinking about... My evolved shark people okay. become pirates. That'd be cool. I was also that. thinking of sort of a Tesla Edison rivalry in here that would make Ooh. a lot of sense. And they're kind of dueling wizards. But uh, I think there could also okay. be pirates involved that are, you know, oh, it's Edison's men come to trash my lab, but they're pirates. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, I, if we're, and maybe these don't mesh as well as I think they do in my head, but this could work as far as like, with the premise I had of developing yes. cultures where these could be the elves who are getting into modern science, Interesting, so say, yeah. but applying that magical tinge to it. So that's why it's like their version of the future is very different from ours because they're applying magic to it. So they're able to bend the rules of physics to. So they're rule their, benders like to their cause. Yeah. <laughs> um, and these like one of the factions could be yeah. the bad guys. And that could be like the Edison yeah. or the Tesla or whatever. Um, and then maybe our hero teams up with... The well, and one thing I was going to teach... I, I forgot to loop this back in, but the cartographer would be very important in this scheme, right? Of like of tracing different things and saying, oh, this happens especially uh, more in this region. And it could very much tie into, oh, into yeah, the cartography sure. plot. So that's, uh, that's very interesting. And that would make sense why like this cartographer from a different land who got attacked by shark pirates off the coast his ship was destroyed he was marooned well not marooned but like he washed up onto this island without his crew without anyone from his homeland and he just has to do what he does best and try to find a way off the island but because of his cartography skills he team ends up teaming up with the super scientists they go on a journey there's a giant dumbledore voldemort uh, oh, I off. thought you were just going to say there's a giant Dumbledore. And I was like, <laughs> there's a giant Dumbledore, Dumbledore Voldemort. <laughs> I'm on board. Hybrid. 
They just like find this creature that's just a giant Dumbledore Voldemort. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's like the 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 Edison uh, Tesla magic users. Uh, the good version does die, and then the cartographer, who's been his uh, his ward through all this, has to step up and save the day. And then this island is saved by an immigrant. Political commentary Ooh, for you, Jake. Wow, that's very good. Another thing I thought is, well, I didn't even think about this, but we we did it. We just worked in Jake's uh, Warring Factions group. The, the Edison and Teslas can very much be that. Oh, yeah. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, kind of tie in there. Um, I'm really liking this. Uh, my other two concepts are very different than everything we've set up so far. Let's get into these, uh, and I'll just sort of introduce them, and then we can decide if we're going to jump to one of them or stick with our sort of hybrid world we've been building, which is, I think, where I'm leaning. So my next idea is the uh, the great. Have you guys heard of the Great Moon Hoax? Yes. Oh I yeah, Dave, we've talked hoax. about the Great Moon Hoax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is this the one where the moon is secretly a base with? Moon yeah. Moon so it was basically a newspaper or some magazine started publishing, um, you know, new scientific findings of of things that were on the moon, and you know, no one had telescopes at that time. I think this was the I don't know 1800s. Um, yeah. and someone just started publishing all this stuff about like, oh yeah, there's these creatures on the moon and this is what their society is like. And it was kind of a, kind of like a war of the worlds thing where people bought it. Like people totally thought it was real. And this is what I didn't know before when I looked into this recently, it, uh, they totally intended it to be a parody of people publishing ridiculous findings and claiming them to be scientific. This was never meant to trick anyone. It was just entertainment and they thought it was funny, uh, but people totally believed it and got really into it. So I thought, I just want a setting where that's true, first of all. Um, and one way I, I explained it was, what if the magical creatures and the stories that we have from, you know, the medieval era, what if they escaped to the moon, right? They were being persecuted, burning at the stake, what if they somehow escaped to the moon, built up a colony there, and just were thriving? Okay. Here's the. So. No, go ahead. No, I want to hear your ahead. question. It may it may be helpful. Maybe you're no. gonna have my point. Well, so I had a the other big hoax I've heard of is people living underground, like the yeah. people, so to say. You know what hoax I've heard? It would people, be interesting. Humans landing on the moon. That's another hoax I've heard. <laughs> oh, that one's so oh, dumb. That <laughs> that is true. Um, what if the moon people? And the mole people were at war, but they both feared the combined forces of the Earth Dwellers, they call them. Um, so they're trying to have this war in secret without drawing attention to us. <laughs> that could be Earth interesting, people. yeah. I, I think that could also be part of the the what, what incites them to go to the moon. is like, hey, if we just go to the moon, we can not deal with the mole people. But plot twist, there's mole yeah. people on the moon. Inside of the moon. Whoa. And they're there. Yeah, allies, that's why we don't see them. Because all moles yeah. stick together. That's what I've always heard. If you're a mole, get in the hole. You're sold to the cause. Um, I think if we do the whole like moon thing, we should like take some inspiration from the actual moon hoax because they came up with some pretty good material. Oh, they really did. Yeah. There were like flying goblins on the moon. There were like little pig people that would carry their babies like humans and like waddle around and they like built little huts out of straw and stuff. Yeah. It was great. Can we recruit some moon missionaries? Come and teach us Definitely. the lessons. Absolutely. Have us baptized in the doctrine of moon hoax. I'm sure that's what they call it. We're the moon yeah. hoaxers. So here's the... Uh, Here's where I've, I have plot attached to this concept. This is what the part I'm really excited about. What happens in 1961 is Yuri Gagarin's orbit of the Earth. Okay? okay. All of a sudden, these people are now threatened again. The humans are coming, right? 
And I, I would, would love this just to be set in the 1960s. And between 1961 and 1969, it's just them, like, bracing themselves and figuring out what to do and, you know, making preparations. And I could see some protagonists even returning to Earth and seeing what they can do to stop it. Um, I think it'd be interesting. Basically a third team in the space race that is the moon, uh, which is very interesting to me. I think it's harder to figure out. I think it'd be interesting to include, like, some real-life pop culture references. Yeah, exactly. Because... Um, one of the uh, theories about that we didn't land on the moon is that Stanley Kubrick, uh-huh. famous director of like 2001 Space Odyssey, The Shining, et cetera, et cetera, um, he supposedly filmed the moon landing. So what if Stanley Kubrick, because his films are a little yeah. trippy at times, what if he actually is a moon hoaxer and they just like sent him to Earth to set up propaganda of like, hey, I can help you film this moon landing so that you don't yeah. even have to go through the effort I really to like that. do it as a way to like prevent mm. them from getting to the moon. Yeah, no, I, that totally works. Because I was actually thinking about um, what if some normal non-magic human ended up in the exodus that left the Earth? And so there's a whole like there's like a whole <laughs> sub race of humans that are like not magic users and they're just like whatever. But then I thought if they don't have magic, they're probably just gonna die on the moon. So that probably didn't work, but uh, he could be partially human, you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's this that idea. This, this pretty much has everything at this point. We've got shark pirates. We've got cartography. <laughs> we've got scientists. I'm really having a hard time gravity. connecting this we've to the rest the of our our thoughts. It's like it's like a, a totally different vibe to me and a different like <laughs> like setting. Well, and maybe we could come back with yeah, another episode later that's like space fantasy specifically. So that's the, that's my great great moon hoax idea. I think uh, I, I'm still more into everything else we established before this. Coming up next is my idea that I think could either compete or be integrated into what we've already built. So here we go. Um, to give you an idea. <laughs> Uh, I wrote up little summaries of these ideas so I would remember them last night. Um, my my science magic concept was 116 words. Uh, my great moon hoax was 62 words. Wow. This one is 608 words. So I like super won't get into it, right? Oh, that's like <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. <laughs> you already wrote um, for a story, Brian. Yeah, seriously. So I, I, I could totally right see this being this. just like one thing that is going on in the world of what we already sort of established earlier, or uh, it could be central and it could be really interesting, or it could be a side novel. Anyway, there's a lot of things we can do with it. Um, basically, Houston, tell us what a warlock is in in D, in a D and D setting. A warlock <laughs> in a D and D setting, <laughs> it is. A magic user who receives their magical abilities okay. through some sort of patronage or uh, like a magical contract, you might say that they make. It's usually like, not a god, right? It's usually not an actual usually, god. It's like, some sort of powerful Kulu. force, though. Yeah, exactly. It's like a demigod of some sorts, like Grumsh. Because um, it's usually I have no idea what you're saying. Grumsh, a demigod, possibly. Groomshk, um, something like that. But for example, no, like hold on, we're not gonna warlocks. just leave Groomshk. What is Groomshk? <laughs> you can't just say, oh, for example, Groomshk. Uh, hold on, I'm googling it. <laughs> I'm googling it, and I have no idea what I'm even looking at. You're a mean one. Oh, like Groomshk, um, Mr. Groomsh. Um, hold on, hold on. <laughs> What? Oh, it's G R U U M S H. Groomsh. 
U U M S H Groomsh. Is this a no? It's a he just looks like an orc. Yeah, he is a an orc god and a greater deity. Okay, interesting. Blah 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 blah. It goes on. You you were wrong though because he's a deity. This this and that that plays into what I'm talking about. Oh, okay, sure. This is a very specific. This is a very specific thing that I'm delving into, but he sounds like the alien Krampos of some like orc oh. race that lives. <laughs> Wait, in is a, he also a cyclops? Sometimes he is, and sometimes he isn't. I don't know why, but that's like the exact vibe I get from him. Also known as Groomsh One Eye, he is the patron deity of orcs who regard him as. Okay, the god so of some art shows him as, as an orc who has lost an eye, but the main picture that comes up on the Forgotten Realms wiki is literally he's a cyclops. It's really weird. He's got an eye in the middle of his face instead. Anyway, Groomsh Ooh. is a wild thing to say. So this is a full-on D&D thing. Man, I've already... Uh... I had no idea about this. Yeah, seriously. Where's our Unearthed Arcana I've, Groomsh I've warlock? already surpassed you guys in D&D lore knowledge. Yeah, seriously. That's what I need now. Um, okay, now that we've established the concept of what is a warlock, okay, that was the only reason I introduced that. Um, I want to tell a story from the point of view of the Patreon, Okay. Not the warlock as much, right? Um, and the, the the plot here is he needs a new warlock. Yeah. Right? He needs someone to make a pact with because... So basically the cosmology I've set up is when some, when, someone, when a mortal becomes really powerful in their life and they like accomplish a lot and they, they fight, they're worthy of great power or whatever, they become a patron. Okay? And patron is sort of a, an in-between of, uh, between a mortal and a, and a god. The demigod is probably a better way of explaining it. Okay? So this patron, when he gets to that point, he's like, sweet, I've got it made. I'm just going to chill. I'm going to find an easy... T- so these, these patrons, they all have responsibilities similar to like Greek gods, um, but there's like billions of responsibilities. So some of them end up being like really dumb, small, easy ones. So the one that I thought up is his the job he claims is he's in charge of making sure the patron who's in charge of seasons is doing their job. Okay, so he's just quality control and he, he recruits a warlock to do this easy job and he basically just has to like plant crops and make sure the seasons are doing the right thing okay so he's he's like on easy street he's like cool i got this cushy job i got my warlock to do my bidding which is very simple bidding dumb bidding um i'm set in my patron life right the way it works is these patrons are only immortal while they have um while they have a warlock doing their bidding or if they have a warlock reach the level of patron themselves okay so if if uh, this warlock does his job so well and he becomes really great and he becomes a patron, the patron then has it set for life, right? He's immortal. Cool. Um, but right as he's like about to make it, and it takes a longer than usual because he's, he's taken this dumb, easy job. As soon as this warlock is about to get to that level, he dies, which ruins everything, right? And normally these patrons have backups, right? They, they like, take, take on five or six uh, warlocks because they want to make sure that they're, they're successful and they want to get there as fast as possible, right? This guy's lazy. He only took on one. He didn't have a backup. So now he's stuck in the situation yes. of, like, shoot, now I really have to get a, a warlock. So what I've set up is he can't get a warlock in his patron form. He's sort of this demigod. He has to return to his mortal form to recruit a warlock, and then he's able to return to his patron level and uh, and then continue on and then achieve his immortality through the new warlock. And I think it would just be fun to have, like, 
sort of like a How I Met Your Mother style, like him going through different warlocks and like meeting different people. <laughs> how I Met Your how Warlock. How I Met Your Warlock, yeah. <laughs> I was... I was gonna say, I was gonna say, like, I, I'm getting vibes that like this could end up being like a rom com yeah, about and it's like, like matching a super not not romantic, but like following all the rom com tropes would be really fun with it. Oh, there's definitely a bromance that is happening. Yeah, definitely. Like, if you just change the music a little bit, make it a little bit brighter lighting, it's definitely a gay rom com. <laughs> um, so then, so from there, I, I think we spend. This is a series, by the way. This has got to be like a full on series. Or regular rom com. I guess warlocks can be. Yeah. Totally uh, could female. be. I don't want to feed into the stereotype that all warlocks are. People men. are saying that all the time, and you—I can't believe you added your voice to yeah, theirs. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, so I think that's like the first book is his quest to find the warlock. But then from then on, every book is literally just the warlock going on another quest. They find a new campaign party, uh, and they go off on some quest, and. At the same time, that's happening. We're seeing the patron deal with like the politics of living on the patron plane, and like he's got a rival patron, and he's got these other patrons he has to deal with, um, and he's sort of like watching the leaderboard to see if he can like get his glory faster. And he's like a lot more motivated this time because he screwed up last time, um, and he takes on maybe a slightly more difficult responsibility um, of like maybe getting revenge on people who try to use magic to mess with the seasons, for example, right? He's sort of taken a step up, still sort of a dumb a dumb job, but better than he was before. Um, and then, so every book is, is his warlock going and doing these quests with these different groups. And as they do these quests, they're also picking apart the whole patron warlock system. And they realize that the system would be a lot better if they just switched over to be a god and a cleric. And that they eventually, that's that's the final book, is they finally crack it, and mm. they 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 both ascend, and the warlock becomes a cleric. Well, he becomes a yeah, he becomes a cleric, and the patron becomes a god, and then they go, and it's it's very cool. So that's the whole like broad idea. I would love for this to just be in the background of anything too. So whatevs. I have. Could we introduce? I, I was gonna say, could we introduce uh, a character like um, Hitch, <laughs> played by Will Smith, who is kind of the matchmaker, who's kind of that would, wingman that would rock, to yeah. the to the uh, patron. What if he and actually is a romantic match matchmaker, like, but he, like, like the first time the patron, like, comes to Earth as a mortal again, he, like, runs into him and he's like, can you, like, help me with this? Like, yeah. he's like, it's not really my thing, but, like, we can apply all the same things that I teach my, like, idiot customers. Like, we can do the same to find you a warlock. So there is a bit of a, there is a bit of an unspoken love there between the patron and the, uh... Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and they meet on Match.com. Fantasy Match. Or the d so, equivalent. I had an idea, yes, and maybe this gets away a little bit from what you're Go wanting. Go for it. But what if the patron is the... He is the patron of this science-bending magic. Oh, interesting. And he, like, he had a whole thing where it's like, I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. I just want this one hero to kind of go and save the day. Now he's like, okay, that failed epically because the side I was rooting for did not win. What if I put my eggs in two baskets between these warring factions and whichever faction comes out on top, that is my premier warlock that helps me ascend into whatever the great status yeah. of immortal patron is. So um, that and those two people that he picks for all intents and purposes in this, going with your analogy, they are the Edison and Tesla. Yeah. And so he is just like 
this third party through all of this who's like maybe this like Darth Sidious kind of figure who ultimately like he's maybe not evil so to say but he's using this as an opportunity of like they're already at war I can't uh, I can't fail again like I've got to pick one of these people so I'm gonna give two heroes on each or one hero on each side the chance to like use my magic and see which one comes out victorious and then he's kind of like when things uh maybe like aren't going in favor of getting these two warriors to meet up and fight each other and help conquer the war he like pulls some strings to cause chaos to yeah interesting get the forced destiny in a sense okay yeah i like that a lot i here's another way we could take it though because it, there is a bit of a conflict here because uh, you know warlock patron magic is sort of conflicting with the idea of um this naturalistic magic that they haven't discovered yet right what if uh so we we take our main story that we we were building from the start that is our lord of the rings this concept i just pitched is our our like weird prequel silmarillion that gets way too into the details and it exp- and okay. uh and uh, instead of my oh, like the ending that. i just pitched of they get elevated to God and cleric. They just destroy the whole system. And that's why there isn't that kind of magic in this world. Interesting. And so then they relearn, they have to return to this sort of naturalistic form of magic. So there's, there's like legends of like a time when magic, there were powerful magic users, but at this point in their history, they're like, we don't know. Like we, we know there was magic. We haven't seen it now, but these, this group of scientists is now starting out to, uh, to sort of rediscover how magic could work. Well, and that could be a fun, uh, like, yeah. in our main series that we're writing, we have that as, like, a religion that they follow. Yeah, I like and that. And then when we do the Silmarillion version, we see, like, oh, here's, like, the parts of the religion that they took and followed and how it, like, deviated from what the original meaning was. I think that would be an interesting I really take. like that, yeah. And th- and that could just be, like, a huge part of one of the races, right? Because we're also building out this concept of all of the races have sort of their different worlds and... They're, they're learning to interact, that kind of thing. I like that a lot. Uh, and and the destruction of the magic, that could be why some of these tribes like dwarves or like why there's this huge Western explosion have been able to prosper because magic has been uh, stunted for a little bit. Because usually like magic should dominate oh, yeah. the fantasy world. Yeah, I really like that. But it's it's digressed for a little bit and now you have like say the elves who are trying to restore they're the traditionalists of this world and so they're trying to restore the magic instead they invent a new magic through science um i was thinking i would also be willing to lend you guys a little bit of my idea and you can have somebody (laughs) discover discover an oil at some point that kind of shifts the balance of things and that yeah, for sure. That, that totally fits in. Ooh, to have, ooh, like, that... like chemistry is totally something that could be yeah. part of this, like natural, natural magic. It's just citrus bliss. That's the only. <laughs> it's the only one they find. You sort of just... put it under your nose, and it smells real nice. Yeah, that's the only. That's the only thing it does. <laughs> well, going into that, like, what if the magics, like the magic in this world, are vaguely deter, like broadly. Uh, grouped by the different sciences so you could have like an alchemy chemistry style yeah for sure and that's where jake's comes in physics is more of what brian is talking about biology could be like your bear shifters like that is more like (laughs) physical alteration magic 
um, or like healing and whatnot. Um, I don't know Earth sciences. Well, like c- <laughs> cartography, cartography, yeah, exactly. I feel like um, we pretty much hit every single point that we would ever need to hit in this book. I really like that these schools of magic are schools, <laughs> right? These schools of magic really are just like yeah. school subjects, and that's really interesting. And it would encourage the sciences in school, and people would be excited yeah. to go to school and learn science. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like science in school, but if I read this book, maybe I'd be more excited. Maybe I would take more science yeah. classes. Maybe I'd actually know what I'm talking about when I'm throwing out science mumbo jumbo exactly. and just hoping that it's right. Um, what is this thing called? We got to name this world. Um, Ooh, that's going to be tricky. <laughs> I think at this point we're, we're we've planned out you know at least five or six books, right? Yeah. So yes. I vote we name the the world, right? We come up with our name. Like, what's what's the one Brandon Sanderson uses? The Cosmere, the Cosmere. is that right? Yeah. I think we need that term, and then we also need. The first book's title. And I think... Okay. Uh, Wait, when you say the first book, like the first main book or like the prequel book with... The I patrons? think the first the first main book. I think okay. I think the one with the relationship, the history of the warlocks and the patrons, that's only going to be interesting to people who are already invested in this world. So I think we write yeah. that later. Okay. Um, I have an idea. Give me one sec. Okay. There's like a lot of going on here. I know. I feel like uh, it's so expansive that maybe we ought to just come up with some <laughs> I was, weird fantasy name for it. I was hoping that I could come up with like, what is like the Latin word for science magic and be like, Oh, we can make that the name of it. If it's like obscure enough. No, it, <laughs> the Latin translation of science magic is magica science. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't quite work. What if it's just called, <sighs> I want something with like Manser, right? Like, like, People take necromancy and then they for- form it into technomancy and any kind of mancy. Oh, what if gotcha. we call it? Like, what if? What if these magic users are called mancers? I don't and like that. We could call it. No, I don't like it. Simancy. Um. As in like S C I mancy. Or is it too on the nose? It probably is. Yeah. Um. Or what if we do just call it mancy, and then our main character's name can be Nancy. <laughs> and the title of the first book is called The Adventures of Nancy Mancy. <laughs> and she's very fancy. <laughs> fancy Nancy who practices Mancy of the Earth kind. That's the book title. Ooh, okay, hold on. Here's something. Something with the 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 Latin sounding word practica, because it's practical magic, right? Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What if it's what if it's like occultist practica right something like that that's like a like science or mythical sounding but it, the, yeah. the the concept is it's a very practical concept and we have to spell practica yeah. with a k because it always makes it cooler exactly yes makes it more medieval yeah. fantastical um so occultist practica you so that's said? like hidden practicality is what that would mean i like that what if that is the name of the magic that's good, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying this has to be the name of the like book series, but it, I thought this could help us to get there. I guess, who are we trying... What is our main demographic? Oh, that's a good question. Book? Is it... Like, is it Harry Potter, where it's like, we're getting them when they're young and then writing these as they grow up? So, in that case, you could do, like, Fancy Nancy and The Port of Shark And Pirates. it's just actually Fancy Nancy, but, the books that already exist. Yeah. We rename it for every but, demographic. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, just like what we're starting with and growing up. So like that is a more like traditional YA novel style. 
the um, the protagonist name more... and the blank. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Exactly, Percy Jackson and the whatever. I think um, I don't think we go that young. I think we go Lord of the Rings style. We did, I want I want some that kind of name feel. Yeah. Family friendly, mature. Yes. Uh, style. And the yeah, okay. and the Hobbit is a little bit more of a kids book. Um, yes. So what if it's just man? This is hard. People spend months on this, so we're trying to cram it into a few minutes. Um, I really like Practica. Yeah, what do you do with it? Just the, it, it could be like their practitions, practitioners. No, that's dumb. Um, what if it's practitioner, but it's P R A K T I C I A N, like magician. <gasps> Ooh, practitioner. That's good. I think you I think get it's it. Now is we the just book need just called the practitioners. So the practitioners. I I think the practitioners is a good a good name for a book it's simple straightforward it piques curiosity maybe how about this that is not the name of any given book but that is the name that's of the cosmere series. style name that we kind of say oh it's right. in the practitioner's yeah. so universe like, yeah so like way of kings is the book of the stormlight archive right series okay um it is the practitioner's series but each individual book has a different it it's not like the practitioners. Uh, I do want to. I do want to clarify. It is da, the practitioners, because practitioner is yeah, just a word that exists in the world. Practitions, but practitioners yes. is a cool combination you're right, you're with right. magicians. Yeah, I think naming each individual book would be too hard until we outlined all of them. So I think the practitioners series. Practitioners series is our book yep. series, starring Fancy Nancy. Hold on, no, hold on, no. I got a great <laughs> name. I got a great name for the Silmarillion style book for the with the lazy patron. The Chilmarillion. Yes. <laughs> the Chilmarillion. <laughs> and maybe the uh, the patron is Jack Johnson. Yeah, for Ooh. sure. <laughs> yeah, we could get him on board. The Chilmarillion. Hey, he's not lazy, though. He just he just chills. Yeah. No, the warlock he's training, who could be named Tom DeLonge, Yeah, no, we did it. Because they're both magic-related. I was worried. I thought Tom DeLonge oh, would come in on the 1960s uh, moon hoax uh, plot. Oh, yeah. I, I was thinking of it. I never got to a natural way of bringing it up. I'm always on the hunt for my Tom DeLong reference. Yep. The, so our our patron and the lazy warlock can be based off of Jack Johnson and Tom DeLong. Not to say Tom DeLong is a lazy m- musician, but he's not a practitioner. He's a practitioner. Well, so in, in in that world, there are no practitioners, right? Because at that point, they've already established oh, yeah, it the, the warlock. Yet. Well. So here's another thing I was thinking about. It's kind of cyclical. I think that's always how magic starts, and it eventually evolves into, like, this warlock has a complete mastery over it and is able to just give it. I think eventually the the stuff that we've put in our our weird prequel is also ideally where things end up in 2,000 years in the future of of our main main story. I think it's it's not a new magic system. It's just resetting. Right. Cool. I like it. I do too. I we're at an hour, so I think we should Let's wrap, wrap up. it up. But I think the Practition series, it's we did it. We wrote a book verbally <laughs> with no plot, but we wrote a premise for <laughs> yeah. a book. Yeah, that's all you need. Pre- premise is the we'll hardest. We'll write part. it in real life. So we are trademarking it here. TM 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 TM. That's probably enough. That's hard to say that many yeah. times. But it's important um, that you did because that is how you trademark something. <laughs> yes. If you try to write this story, we will sue yeah. you with all the forces of our practitioner abilities. Let's make this an actual book one day, a book series. Okay, perfect. You can find us uh, on perfectbrainstorm.net, um, which has links to all of our Twitter and Instagram, so I'm not going to say them this time. 
That's right. I said it. I'm not going to say them. <laughs> um, I've, it's my next topic next, right? Uh, I believe so. It yeah. sure is. Okay. Brian, what's your next topic? I, I, I should let you know. I'm not doing any work on this next one. <laughs> I'm like I'm like setting it up and then letting you guys just take it. Okay. Okay. So I was okay. I was clearing out my Google Drive recently because uh, I hit capacity, which is wild. Uh, that wow. I hit 15 gigs on my Google, my Google Drive. Um, and I was digging through and I found just sort of some old projects that I, I started and never did anything with. And I've got one that I think you guys can really uh, really knock out of the park. I found this Google uh, this Google Drive, just a Google Doc, that <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll lead with the story and then I will end with the title. All it has is a title. It's a completely blank Google Doc. I, I, I was trying to find any idea of where this came from. I found that I had shared it with one other person, uh, but it didn't have their name. It was just an email address. I Googled that email address because I didn't recognize it, and it came to some local high school's, like, drama club or something. Whoa. It was like an article about someone who had been in this, this high school drama club, and uh, I realized it was a girl I almost dated, like, five years ago. So, <laughs> apparently... She and I at some point decided we should really write this project. And apparently she is very into drama, right? Here's the title of the Google Doc. The Heat is On, colon, A Christmas Musical. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> the Heat is On, A Christmas Musical. I just, that's nothing. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm sure I thought it was a great idea in the moment. Um, wow. But uh, the heat is on at Christmas Eve. Because the heat was on. The heat at the was time. on at the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we're gonna figure out what the heat is on at Christmas musical means, and uh, that's our so episode. Wait, what like what year was this from? Like what what's the? Let date, me check. I did find the doc date. here. Um, last edited on November tenth, two thousand fourteen. So so literally um, five years ago. Better question. What High School Musical came out at the time? Because I think that might be the more telling. Yeah, possibly. Uh, factor as to what we should. No, be I think we had like we had gone to some plays together because she was really into theater. I would have been living with you at, the, at that time, right? You would have been. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was while I, while I was living in Monticello. So, um, anyway, I'm trying to remember if I ever overheard any conversations about the heat is on a Christmas musical. I don't know. Yeah, the heat is on a Christmas musical. Oh man, this is good. This is good it's, stuff. It's my, a mystery. My mind is racing. So yeah, I like I've I've done all I've done my part of this one. I named it. That's what it's called. Um, <laughs> and I'll just be here to sort of walk through the conversation with whatever you guys come up with. Okay. Okay. So Let's this is this is our Jake. Christmas episode. Hey, Jake, the heat is on. <laughs> oh, Bring yeah. your A game. Christmas musical. I'm actually gonna write a song for it. Perfect. Or several songs, or I might just write the whole musical. We're just gonna, okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Okay, that's uh, that's it. Until next time, I'm Brian Perry. I am the one who was supposed to start this, because I was the host <laughs> of this episode. I'm your tavern master, Houston Bodley. And uh, I'm I'm still sitting in the corner, but I'm now I'm drinking an ale rather than smoking a pipe. And I'm I'm Jake Bush. And this is fairly well. <laughs> and this is a perfect brainstorm. Uh, see well. you next week. Bye. Fairly well. Fairly well. <laughs> I always has been. Darkness floods your eyes When you need to see Don't waste your time on me Don't waste your time on me